breathe. If you're by yourself or when you get the opportunity to be by yourself, cry. Be upset. There is absolutely nothing wrong with how you are feeling in that moment. Hi, this is Taylor Stuber. And this is Sean Smithgall. We are both clinical pharmacists and faculty members at Auburn University, Harrison School of Pharmacy, and we are your hosts for The Postgraduate Pharmacist. We focus on all topics related to postgraduate training. From current events to advice, we bring you, the listener, up-to-date content related to postgraduate training. New episodes are released every other Monday, so don't forget to like or subscribe. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Postgraduate Pharmacist. Pharmacy Match Day is right around the corner, and thousands of pharmacy graduates will have their fates revealed in just a few short days on March 19th. Everyone's going to wake up that morning hoping to find out the good news. Unfortunately, the reality is that slightly more than one-third of applicants will not receive the good news that they were hoping for Friday morning and will remain unmatched. That news usually arrives sometime, Taylor, typically on or before 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time, which can be in the middle of patient care and highly disorienting for students. That is why we're releasing a special two-part series related to Phase 2 of the match and beyond. Part one today will focus on what to do if you do not match in phase one and choose to participate in phase two. We'll be very transparent about today's topic. Our guest today is Auburn's very own Gladys Tucker Hurd, who is a curriculum coordinator at Auburn's satellite campus in Mobile, Alabama, and one of my former students. Gladys, it's great to have you on the podcast today. Thank you both so much for inviting me to chat with you today. I am super jazzed to be here. <laughs> Well, Gladys, we're jazzed too. Uh, before we dive into the nitty gritty, do you mind sharing a little bit about your career journey to this point, including your experience with phase two? Taylor's been talking a lot about it. He tells me it's quite the adventure. Well, I don't know about an adventure, but sure. Um, I graduated from undergrad. It's been a little bit of a spell since then, but had a really good time in the process. Uh, I actually moved to Seattle, Washington, did some TB research out there in the lab of Dr. Kevin Ertle. Had a blast doing that. But while I was there, my brother was diagnosed with stage four colorectal cancer, kind of threw my world up in a tizzy. During one of our many conversations, he said, it's great that you know all this information, but what good does it do the rest of the world? You know what? You're right. Went and got my master's in education and went off and started teaching high school. So I taught high school biology, sciences, physical science, chemistry, and all that good stuff in Charleston, South Carolina. Students got me interested in pharmacy, and I thought, ooh, I think that's my jam. I think I want to do that. Husband separated from the Navy. We moved out to California. Obtained my master's in science, and I applied to pharmacy school. I met Dr. Oosley, who is just as awesome as you can imagine, and decided I'm going to go to Auburn to pharmacy school. And so I did. And so that kind of led me down here. Thank you for sharing that. It's very interesting. I can't wait to hear more. So Taylor and Glass, feel free to jump in. I want to lay the foundation and talk about expectations. What's the real probability of not matching in phase one? When I alluded to earlier about about a third of students or applicants not matching or waking up to the good news, I was saying that only about 60, little over 60% 
based on the data that we've seen from the last five or six years, will actually match to a program during phase one. So that's ultimately the reality of what we're dealing with here. About a 60 to 65% match rate that's steadily declining by by about 1% each year that we've seen. And one other thing that I wanted to point out is that percentage that I just mentioned is only applicants who are participating in the match, which means those that dropped out of the match or maybe didn't get any interviews, they are not included in that overall number. So potentially even a smaller percentage than that. Well, I can say for me personally, as far as the real probability of not matching for phase one, (laughs) that was 100%. (laughs) I don't laugh because it's funny. I laugh because y'all don't know this. I'm sitting in the room with Gladys. I get to see all her personal flair, which is fun. Taylor, he's over 400 miles away, so he doesn't get to to appreciate that. I can only imagine. (laughs) We'll have to start doing videos. All right. This two weeks of waiting can be pretty torturous for students, especially for those with limited number of interviews or rankings. I want to open this up to all of us right here as like a discussion. What should applicants be doing to prepare mentally and by other means for the possibility they don't match? You know, really thinking about, okay, what's going to happen if I don't match? That, that, that had to become a reality. It, it wasn't just the thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to go somewhere. This is where I'm going to go. This is what I'm going to do. That creeping thought had to, had to go in there. It had to, you had to start to think about it. What if it doesn't quite pan out the way I'm anticipating? What am I going to do? Yeah. You know, and you don't want to think about it. You don't want to think about it. Did you, did you think about what, do I even want to match? Did those, does those thoughts, like, did you have to re- uh, revisit that initial conversation you had with yourself maybe sometime in the previous year or even years ago where you were like, I'm, I'm, I want to go through the match. Did you have to revisit that and say, do I, do I even want to match? You know, you funny you mentioned that I didn't, but I had classmates that when we were going through this process, I actually had classmates who told me I just submitted my match and I almost want to go back in and just erase everything because I don't want to go through this. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And ultimately you have to kind of be prepared for the worst, but hope for the best. And, you know, you still got school requirements and graduation coming up. So that has to be something that you keep on the forefront. So you make sure you meet all those requirements, but yeah, you really have to be vested in this process and time and effort that you put in and resources you put into going through this process. Yeah. I like how you said, say positive, positive, having positive distractions. When candidates open that email on Friday morning and it's not the good news that they were expecting, what's the first thing you would recommend they do? Breathe. If you're by yourself or when you get the opportunity to be by yourself, cry. Be upset. There is absolutely nothing wrong with how you are feeling in that moment. You've worked so hard for years for this moment in time And it's going to feel for that moment like it was for absolutely nothing. Right before you opened that email and you read, we regret to inform you that you did not match a position or to a position. You had pretty much planned where you were going to go and who you were about to call first to let them know where you were going to move to. And reading that one line is literally going to knock the air out of you. So just breathe. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's the first thing you want to do. <laughs> that's really powerful. And I know uh, after talking with you later that day about that, I know that that was something that 
was crushing based on what you had hoped for. And hopefully after we discuss more, you know, we realize that there's always going to be a positive way to spin these things. And ultimately you have to keep just grinding through to get to the other side. So kind of moving to to talk about the timeline, which is much more compressed in phase two of the match. And if that's something that you ultimately decide that you're wanting to do, you can prepare applications as early as 12 p.m. Eastern time on match day, which is the time that a list of programs is available for phase two. And at 9 a.m. Eastern time on March 23rd, you can submit these with rank order list due a few weeks later on April 7th. So from a logistical point, when you're thinking about and you're dedicated and you decided that you want to go through with phase two, how are you juggling all of these moving parts and what are the things that applicants should be doing and when? You know, after you've had that moment where you, that initial shock has wave have kind of gone through and you've sat down to reflect, you really want to make sure, just like we said for the first part where you've decided, do I even want to do a residency? You really need to make sure that you're doing this for the right reason. Are you going to do phase two because you really want to do a residency or are you doing this because you feel like you need to be doing a residency? Are you doing it for the right reasons? Because the programs you're looking at now, it's a much smaller list. So you need to make sure you're doing your due diligence looking at these programs. What are they offering you and what are you going to be able to offer to them? You're not just applying nilly-willy everywhere and anywhere. You're still making sure that you're going through these programs and seeing what they have to offer. You're retweaking your letters of intent. You're going in through references. Are you going to be using the same references? Because now do these programs offer something different where now you have a different person who could write a letter that would be maybe a little bit better tailored for that program? So you're doing a little bit more, but you're doing it a much more compressed time. Before you did this, when you did phase one, you had sometimes weeks, maybe even a month or two to prepare all of this information. Right now, you have four days, (laughs) maybe five to prepare all of this information again, and you still want someone to read everything that you're looking for, you're reworking everything on top of, you're still on rotation, and you still have all of that to work through. And that pity party you threw for yourself that morning, that's got to be done with because you still have to get all these things done. So you're really working to figure out, but all of it has to start with, are you doing this for the right reason? Do you still want this? If you want this, all right, buckle up. It's going to be a heck of a ride for the next five days until you get all of that turned in. And then it's the waiting game again. Are you going to be called in for interviews? And kind of hope, you know, kind of hoping and praying that you get those interviews again. So it's just a little bit more confined. It's definitely a process where you have to be extremely resilient and gritty in terms of getting through all those all those processes and putting together those applications. So you you mentioned a, you know about a four to five day timeline. Is that due to deadlines program set, or is that just trying to get materials in earlier? Usually, it's the deadlines that are being set because they it opens up on March nineteenth, which is for example, this is March nineteenth, which is the day that you're having everything open up. But then some of these programs are saying their deadlines are within four to five days. Because I know when I did it, it was on a Friday. And then by Tuesday, programs were closing up applications, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because they wanted to go ahead and get their candidates ready and start to send out emails for interviews so that they could get their interviews done. Because the time from when it was ending, when they opened up and the time that you were putting in your list for the phase two was within a couple of weeks. So they had to have all their interviews done by then. And I also think here is a really important point to make that you need to be reaching out to, if this is something that you decide you want to do, 
you need to be reaching out to your mentor or your letter writers and form them and so that they can be ready to turn around these letters of reference and try to help you navigate this process really quickly because, you know, they've got other stuff going on as well. And obviously they're, they're still going to want to give you the best chance, hopefully. Maybe ahead of time before the match. Like Glass was talking about earlier when she was saying, have that conversation with yourself. Are you doing this because you feel like you have to do this? Or are you doing this because this is what you're meant to do? When you've made that decision and you've kind of thought through ahead of time, you know, what happens if I don't match? And hey, I still want to go through with phase two, reaching out to those reference writers saying, this is my plan in case this happens. Be prepared to hear from me. I like that. So we're move, we're going to take a pause for a second, and we're going to move into a very serious topic, which is the postgraduate trivia. So I don't know if you have been keeping track of the score. I personally have over the last three episodes. Taylor has gotten two for three, and I have only gotten zero for three. So today is my day to catch back up. So in light of that, uh, I'm going to ask a question, and I'm not going to give options the other caveats taylor has to answer this one first really trying all you can to catch up to me i am trying all i can catch up so i'll give you one hint beforehand this question's about music and the artist grew up in a small town well smallish i it's probably grown since she was younger near where my wife grew up so what popular song released in 2008 was recently re-released in 2021, sold over 10,000 downloads on the first day, and currently has over 39 million listens on Spotify. I absolutely have zero clue about this. Yes! So <laughs> yes! Congratulations, you've stumped me. Um, oh, finally. Well, you can still guess. I'll guess um, Free Fallen. Free Fallen. Who even sings that song? Not, <laughs> <laughs> not who Tom you're looking for. That's Tom, Tom Petty. Petty. <laughs> That's right? Tom Petty. Okay, I was like, who sees that? All right. I didn't know there's a lot of covers of it. So I will I... neither confirm or deny that answer. Okay, one more time. What was that again? What popular song originally released in 2008, recently re-released in 2021, on the first date sold over 10,000 downloads, and then right now has 39 million listens on Spotify. I definitely missed that originally released in 2008 part because i have no oh, idea what? so okay change your answer then what do you think it is i i, I don't have a guess okay i that's know who what the I artist thought. probably is but i have no idea what if you can say is. the artist i'll give you credit. is it taylor swift it is taylor swift. i knew it was gonna be taylor swift <laughs> it is taylor swift song is love story all right now on to my trivia question i'm not gonna be as mean and i'll actually give you answer choices but, you know, since we've recorded three episodes now, Sean, we're I think we can call ourselves official podcasters and official podcasters always drink coffee. So my question actually relates to coffee. My question is, what country in the world produces the most coffee per year? Is it Guatemala, Brazil, Colombia or Ethiopia? I actually bet it's. Ethiopia. Is that your final answer? That's my final answer. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say Guatemala. So producing over 5.7 million pounds per year is Brazil. So oh, sorry, you missed it. Brazil. Mm, mm, mm. I was Colombia and Ethiopia are not too far behind, though. So sorry, you're still 0 for. I'm still 0 for 4 now. So Jeez. do I get my? When do I get my question in? Oh, all right. Surprise, surprise. 
Do Sur- I not get to ask? Surprise you guest question. I love it. You gentlemen ready? We're ready. And this is just kind of random trivia, okay? We love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so this is just a fun one. How old was Kevin McAllister in the first Home Alone movie? I just watched this a month ago. I'm going to say he was, was he eight years old? I'm going to say eight. I'm going to say seven. Seven. Undercut Taylor by one year. He was, in fact, eight. Oh, yes. <laughs> once, you picked, once you picked eight, I couldn't say, yeah, I pick eight, too. That's that's kind of that's that could have hedged your bets. <laughs> now you're three behind. All right. I'm doing terrible. I am terrible at trivia. All right. Back to more questions. So both phase one and phase two are meant to be as similar as possible. What do you perceive as some of the biggest differences from an applicant perspective, Gladys? I think we touched on this a little bit beforehand, the time constraint. I mean, it's a whirlwind in phase two. You just don't have as much time to prepare. And I think what was different, and this is just going to be different from this year, but at the time, you didn't really have in like remote interviewing. Everything had to be done in person. But in phase two, there were no interviews in person. Everything was done remotely. So that was very different at the time for us then just because you weren't accustomed to it and you just didn't know. Sometimes I I wasn't accustomed to one hour interviews either. You know, you were so accustomed to flying in and doing like a day long interview and meeting with so many different people. And now you were squeezing in an interview in between lunch. So sometimes you'd be on rotation and you would leave for an hour just to go do an interview. So that was, that was a little different. And so it was just a much faster pace. You didn't know who you were going to meeting with. Sometimes they were phone interviews, which was a whole different experience. So if you're accustomed to kind of reading people and trying to have that connection with them, it was just so odd because you didn't get to do that. And I would imagine this year with probably the majority of phase one interviews being virtual, it would probably be most similar to this year with phase two, but still probably, like you said, very constrained with the timing of the interviews. So I want to move on and talk about unaccredited programs and how to find them and how they might work into your plan for phase two. This is a great topic. So I've been a primary preceptor for a fellowship that's grant supported. And like our fellowship doesn't show up on the ASHP program directory because it's not an accredited program. We're not trying to go through accreditation because the grant, you know, was only three years long. So we did three fellows. So for fellowships, a a good place to look is ACCP's residency directory. Sometimes, especially if it's an ongoing fellowship that's continuous, uh, they'll post it there. ACCP also does like a peer review of of fellowships. So if it's been peer reviewed, that's like sort of like the accreditation for fellowships. So that's that's a plus when the programs have that peer review. But ACCP will have some fellowships listed. A lot of fellowships because they're grant funded. And we're talking about non-industry related fellowships. It's usually like word of mouth or word of email. So if you have your mentors, reach out to them, have them like check to see if they've gotten any email notifications about fellowship opportunities that have been that have arose or places that are saying hey we just added this we just got funding for this so reach out to them see if they've heard anything through some listservs google is always your friend too you can always try to do some broad searches for some of these things to see what you can find across the country so along those same lines sean speaking to your mentors and speaking to faculty at your university for example, one of the programs that we had here at Auburn started this year. So even though it didn't start when I was a student, I was able to direct a student towards the program that they started that may not have shown up on ASHP that wasn't fully accredited through this program at the time, but they were able to start a residency program through there as well. 
So definitely speaking to your mentor to see if the university has a university-backed program that they're starting that may not be showing up, but is also an opportunity to gain that experience. Yeah. And along those lines, I think it's good to just ask if you find those programs, you know, ask them why they're not going through accreditation and potentially ask them if they have plans to go through that. And just to see, kind of get a gauge because the reason for accreditation is just to make sure that everybody that goes through a residency program has a similar enough or the same outcomes of their residency training and everything. So just be on the lookout and be aware of that. Now it's time for a rapid fire segment. So it's our new segment. So the rules to the rapid fire, Taylor and I as hosts are going to pop back and forth and ask questions. Whoever asks the question, the other host responds first. And then Gladys, as our guest, you get to respond last. That way you can, you can purposefully disagree or agree with what we say. And so these questions, they're short. These are just like frequently asked questions, short questions. The rule is that when you respond, you can only respond with a few word phrase like yes, no, it depends, followed by no more than a one sentence rationale. So I'll start off. Statistically, is it worth it to participate in phase two? Potentially, if it is something that you truly want to do as the match rate is only about 20% phase two, as we've seen in previous years. Absolutely. If you want it, go for it. I like her response better. <laughs> Taylor stretched herself. Should you apply to a program with spots in phase two if you interviewed and ranked them in phase one, but did not match? No. Chances are that program did not rank you on purpose and doing so would be a waste of time. No. There's a reason you're not meant to be there. How many programs should you rank in phase two? As many as you can that are desirable to you. I agree. Should you email program directors or preceptors prior to submitting forecast materials for phase two? Yes, I'm a firm believer of doing anything you can to get your name and face out there is worth it. It depends. How much time do you have? (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Is there a discount to submitting applications in phase two? Unfortunately, no. You have to fork up the cash. Sadly, no. (laughs) Should you get new references or use the ones that you used from phase one? Use the ones from phase one if you can, and they match to similar types of programs. I like the previous answer. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that was... (laughs) That was a lot of fun. Uh, In our final moments, Gladys, do you have a key takeaway relating to phase two of the match? Be patient, be confident, and know that regardless of the outcome, the path you are on was the one that is meant for you. Those are great words of wisdom, Gladys. Uh, Thank you so much for being here today. It was a pleasure having you as a guest on The Postgraduate Pharmacist. Thank you all so much for having me. If you want to continue to hear up-to-date topics from us and our guests, please like and subscribe. Part two of our two-part series on phase two of the match and beyond will be on what to do if you do not match during phase two. Remember, you can listen to us on all major podcasting apps. And don't forget to check out the links in the description below if you want more information on the match or answers to frequently asked questions.